Welcome back to Operator Syndrome. Well, this is the uh, third installment in um, a series of, uh, of, of podcasts on uh, my friend Mike Bailey, uh, Vietnam, uh, his dog Prince, which you can see on the screen there. Uh, the second uh, episode, I got into uh, how this dog saved the day. Um, it, it was also Mike, Mike saved the day knowing how to work with the dog. He was the handler for Prince. And Mike got the bronze star for pretty much saving nearly, if not all, of the people in his platoon. Um, they got into a really hairy situation with the Viet, uh, with the NVA, North Vietnamese Army, uh, were surrounded and um, would have almost certainly been wiped out had Prince not alerted and they'd taken cover. Uh, so anyway, amazing story, amazing dog. Uh, Mike told me a lot of stories about Prince. <clears throat> Uh, more than I could ever cover. Uh, it would take me many podcasts to cover them all, uh, but that was a good one, and and uh, it was good because I, I could I could read the details that were written written down by the OIC of the platoon, who was with Mike and Prince and in charge of that operation. So today, uh, this is this is probably going to be the last uh, of the Vietnam Mike story. Um, uh, again, he's, you know, I don't know, I, I always kind of overlap a little bit of what I've covered before. I I, uh, I don't know if somebody's just watching this one um, uh, or if, if they're just now seeing episode three. Um, in the first and second episodes, I mentioned how Mike is a hero of mine. I uh, really looked up to him. Um, uh, he uh, He's deceased now. He died um, of complications with prostate cancer. Uh in January one, New Year's Day, actually, um, of 23. So um, I'm dedicating this to Mike and, and his memory. So today, I want to talk a little bit more about what I learned from Mike and 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 how SEALs operated in Vietnam. Um, not so much on Prince. Like I say, I did a whole episode on that last time. Uh, although um, he was, Prince was a huge factor in a lot of what Mike did. So Mike uh, was born uh, in 1947, and he grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, he was apparently a state level runner. Uh, I think he, he he ran the mile, I believe, was his uh, running race, his track and field race, and um, he was also an excellent swimmer. Um, unlike myself, I was not that great a swimmer when I went into the seals. Uh, I became fairly proficient at swimming, but took me a lot more effort than it did some guys who were on swim teams and had a swimming background. But Mike was a all-around athlete, uh, really um, a stud athlete, um, which always does help you in, in the SEAL teams. So Mike joined the Navy in 1965, uh, it, the same year that the U.S. Marines landed at Red Beach in Da Nang, Vietnam. Um, that's when things were really heating up. Um, we had had um SOG studies and observations group were different special operators uh, along with the CIA had been in the country for a while um unofficially uh, but doing advising and doing reconnaissance and stuff like that um 65 really hit it off we put boots on the ground and um began the what became what would become the Vietnam war um I covered a little background about the SEAL teams in Vietnam in the first uh, installment of, of this little three-part series. Uh, but 
um, Mike, Mike joined the Navy and, um, <clears throat> funny story. He didn't even know what the seals were back then. Not many people did, <laughs> if any. Um, so he was, he was on a, on a ship and I think I'm pretty sure he was a quartermaster, which means you handle supply. It's like supply in the army. Uh, you handle logistics. Um, and, um, he had this really mean, like senior chief who was in charge of him and he was like right out of boot camp um just a seaman apprentice <laughs> and um he had to among other things which is very common when you're a very junior rank and you you have to do what's called field day uh at least that's what we call it in, in the navy and the marines um to field day is to clean uh, every everything <laughs> but but a lot of times it was um the head the latrine and that was especially humbling to have to go in and do that but we did it and we did it well and mike was there scrubbing he's he tells a story he said man i i hated this place and i hated that senior chief he was really hard on me and i was doing my best and just miserable and um so the the guy he came in one day and mike was cleaning a toilet and the senior chief bent over and said this isn't there's mineral buildup on this you got to do it over again and mike's like well how how am I, I i don't have the tools to get that off of there all i have is a sponge and some cleaning solution and and, and the senior chief bends over the toilet and takes his fingernail and starts scraping it off like this he said and mike said that's when i knew i gotta get out of here so he heard about a group um called the seal teams and they're recruiting for it was it, it had only been around for three years they came out of the udt teams of world war ii but they were just now recruiting for this new duty and they needed as many people as they could get who could pass the screening and get into what was buds it was basic underwater demolition seal which is the basic boot camp a basic training to get to go on to qualify to be a seal um so mike put a chit in and um a chit's a piece of paper that requests that he he get he interview he uh, be screen for for uh, the seals um and the the senior chief the one that was in charge of him kept tearing up the chits and throwing them away <laughs> he didn't even run them up the chain of command so one day uh, i think it was a lieutenant commander was recruiting for the seals and came to wherever mike was i, I can't remember where he was stationed he wasn't on a ship at that time but he was on a base somewhere and um he, he pulled he pulled the uh senate commander aside and said sir i i really want to go to the seals i i really want out of here but my my senior chief keeps um you know negating my the chits that i put through so uh in a he goes well hold tight i'll have you out of here in a couple of weeks and he said sure enough he pulled some strings from from above and mike got orders and went on to buds so made it through buds um this is way back in the day this is buds back in the day um and there in the very center closest up is mike very lean and mean as all these guys are uh putting put them through hell like they always did um and standing standing at sort of at attention uh who knows what they were doing here i don't know exactly what what the evolution was i never heard found out but 
Mike was always tough as nails. He, uh, his nickname in Vietnam, everybody got a nickname in, in, at least in the stills, we always gave everybody a nickname and his was Spike. And uh, one time I said, how did you get the name Spike, Mike? And he said, well, because I like to punch people when I got drunk and whatever, like a lot of young, crazy kids uh, do. But um, at age 22, young Mike Bailey deploys to Vietnam with his dog, Prince. And this is a picture of their, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, probably the squad there um, or a couple extra if it is. Um, Mike is there. Uh, third from the left standing with a cigarette in his hand <laughs> uh, back in the day you know i mean people still smoke in special operations but it's not nearly as common i mean it's 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 most people do not <laughs> the kind of physical training that guys are, are going through to to maintain readiness and op operational ability uh smoking is kind of one of those that that um gone by the wayside but anyway there's mike um and some guys you can see the tiger stripe shorts they're just obviously this isn't a missionary thing they're just you know goofing around on on on, on probably on their base i believe this is at mito m-y-t-h-o um which is down in the mekong delta area um in vietnam um <clears throat> He, he, like I say, deployed as a point man and a dog handler with his dog, Prince. Um, and that was uh, being a point man was really dangerous, especially in Vietnam. Um, you're the first one to walk into a booby trap, or an ambush. Um, you're usually the first one to find out what's going on for good or for bad. And um, now Mike did, he said once when he was working with Prince, he didn't always, wasn't always able to work with Prince. Um, and as I mentioned in the episode previously, um, in the Mekong Delta, it was a lot of waterways. It is the Mekong is the river and, and the Delta is all these intertwined channels and um, Delta of the, of the Mekong where it goes into the, uh, I believe it's a South China Sea, um, the ocean. And it's hard to work with a dog in the water, in and out of the water. They make too much noise. They splash around. They just, it's just not their ideal um, environment. So um, um, the Viet Cong, uh, word got out what the SEALs were doing and that they were pretty good and, and that you didn't want to mess around with them if you could help it. So the Viet Cong named um they, they came up with a name they didn't know seal but they they came up with the name devils with green faces um because ma many times seals were camouflage in the jungle um so uh devils with green faces became their nickname um and um mike told me a story i thought i'd tell a couple of the stories that he he had recounted to me uh one um and this this was it wasn't a, a super well it was super scary at one point but um they ended up not making contact until they got to um a, a uh what do you call him a, a village chieftain um he was a Viet Cong leader uh that they were looking for actually the CIA wanted him but um anyway he he um he he went out on 
and I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about the program in a second. But this this particular mission was was a CIA sponsored mission to capture this guy. Um, well, they went up. They were going up a river in sampans. Sampans are they come in all different sizes. They had bigger ones with motors and that, that were like almost like the size of a houseboat, uh, but they're narrow canoe-like um, canoe-like vessels that uh, that negotiate the rivers uh, quite easily, and they draw a thin draft. So even if you get into shallow water, they can still float much like a canoe. Um, and and so the the Viet Cong and the well mostly the Viet Cong would run arms up and down the Mekong River in sampans. Um, so one night they were going up to get this guy up up a river and that was in their insertion platform. So they're going to insert via sampan, come to the shore and then patrol to this village uh, to get this guy. And they did get him. So, but as they were coming up the river, see my Mike said that, uh, he was because he was the point man he was in the first sampan with the interpreter uh, and an, another guy, another vietnamese guy who just uh was along to help him out um one of the arvin army of south vietnam um people and and the interpreter and they because they were vietnamese and they were not nearly as big and weighted down as all these seals and with their with their gear and weaponry and most of the time mike said that you know americans are about twice the size of vietnamese or a lot bigger so they they were just gliding along and mike mike was just hunched down in the middle of the sampan he said it was the greatest job ever because he didn't um he didn't have to paddle so he got a free ride all the other guys there were i think he said there were three more sampans behind his and that was the other that's the rest of the squad and two americans paddling the sampans and being clunky and not as adept at, at driving the sampans he said man he looked back and he said we're his was just gliding along like it should and he looked back and these things are going this way and that way and banging into the edge of the of the river and he said oh no you know he just shook his head because they were wearing they were wearing um those rice hats the round conical shaped broad brim hats that a lot of the um asians would use in rice patties to keep the sun off of them because they just wanted a little more, just one extra little second of maybe who are they and not, you know, just obviously American soldiers. So they were, <clears throat> they did that quite, quite a lot, Mike said. Um, and they would sometimes wear black uh, long sleeve shirts that look like what the Viet Cong would wear, the the quote unquote black pajama look of, of uh, what a lot of the Viet Cong wore. So um, he said, I already had a bad feeling about this. He said, if they, if we were seen, it was going to be uh, quite obvious who we were. And he said, it's not fun to be compromised in a sampan. He said, basically, all we could do is just roll out of the thing because then we have more cover with the water and only our heads up. And he said, it's just it's not a not a great place to be. And the sampans are made out of a pretty thin uh, thatch like material so bullet could go ripping right through it anyway they're they're going along going along and he said 
all of a sudden they smelled smoke, cigarette smoke. And that was not terribly common. Um, and it was, they were in, it was, it was a, uh, an element of a battalion of MVA that were all along the beach. He said in the first boat, he could already start seeing the, the campfires and the, it was a campsite. And um, that's, so the, the North Vietnamese were, the NVA were smoky. And he said um, he could hear uh, the, the interpreter whispered back to him North Vietnamese dialect meaning nva the nva and i explained this last last one to uh, i hate to keep repeating myself nva regulars were the north army of north vietnam and they were uh, much better trained equipped um, more disciplined everything than the Viet Cong, the guerrilla fighters in the south so mike said he, he told the interpreter we cannot we cannot get any closer or we're we're toast so he pulled the sampan over and and the other guys started coming over and um there was a guard uh, an nva outpost guard and he said something in vietnamese and vietnamese uh language and the interpreter responded the right way we're headed upstream we're delivering something he, he came up with some story and in the guy acknowledged okay you sound sound legit and he said, but here comes the second boat behind him, which was his platoon commander <laughs> in the first seat. And the guy said, you know, he said he, he heard something in Vietnamese, blah, 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 blah. And then he, a, a little period, because he was like, that, this is it. This is <laughs> the gig is up. And the next thing you know, he hears, wow, <laughs> his platoon commander shot him uh, with, his, with his AR. And um, and that was it. And I, my, my first question is, I was like, whoa what about all the NVA up, up ahead? What, why didn't they just come, come running? And he said, because they, a lot of times would just shoot guns in the air for no reason. Um, now a unit, like an American unit that would think that was unthinkable. If you, if you've ever served, you, you would never discharge your weapon, especially in the air, just randomly. But he said they would do it just, just to blow off steam or, or whatever. And um, I, I uh, witnessed this when I was in the Gulf War. Um, when we were in Kuwait City during the liberation of Kuwait City, um, I saw a number of Saudi and Kuwaiti uh, fighters just pop pop, let off a burst in the air, <laughs> kind of a celebratory burst or a bravado. I don't know what it was, but it certainly wasn't how we operated. And um, so I guess I've seen a precedent or a, subsequent uh, of this kind of thing happening but mike said for for whatever reason they just thought it was another one of these people just popping popping off around and uh at random and so they got they got the squad uh on shore and mike mike headed out on point to uh navigate to this village now he said um prince was not on that operation for obvious for the reasons i explained earlier um but he was patrolling patrolling along and then they get in into patrol order and start start out and um he said it wasn't he had stopped to like look at his compass or something and he heard he heard steps coming toward him in the jungle and he said uh he he didn't obviously he didn't know who it was but was was very concerned he, he said the first thing he did was pull out his 45 and thought he could maybe just pop a 
pop them with one shot and get away with it like Platoon Commander had done. And they were they were now, he said, almost a click away from the NVA. So they may or may or not even have heard them at that point. But um, anyway, then he he said this was right after the My Lai Massacre, which is a huge debacle where um, uh, Lieutenant Callie and a bunch of his army infantry um, executed a bunch a bunch of civilians and got in serious trouble and so there was now a heightened kind of nervousness about civilian casu casualties so he said he, he said uh better not he put his, his 45 back in his holster and pulled out his knife and then he said he thought well a knife it's going to do the same thing ultimately so he put his knife away decided he had enough time and the guy comes around mike was like right next to a tree said he kind of wedged beside a tree a palm tree and um the guy stepped out and mike just grabbed him by the neck and threw him on the ground and punched him a couple times knocked him kind of silly to just let him know who was in charge um wanted to kind of get the upper hand and he said right about that time on the second or third punch when he's punching this guy his platoon commander walked up and goes billy you're making too much noise and he's he like looks at his his platoon commander and was like really you just shot a guy back there what are you talking about but just a just an aside just a kind of funny story i remember mike telling me um but the guy they let the guy go he was he was he was not Viet Cong, and um he was, he was an old man actually <laughs> he said it, he felt kind of bad about it but uh you know he was trying to be careful let the guy go. They got to the village. Uh, he said they didn't even fire any shots. They got right into the the hooch where the, the guy was holed up where they thought. And then he said for one time, for once, the intel was right on the location and uh, extracted him back. Um, <clears throat> one thing I would say uh, I just thought I would mention is this was th that operation was part of a CIA sponsored uh, set of operations called the phoenix program um and the phoenix program according to i looked it up on in a history book and the cia described it as a program to destroy the Viet Cong via uh, Viet Cong infrastructure uh, via infiltration torture capture assassination and interrogation um the cia had a lot of uh, a lot less oversight back then we'll put it that way they had a lot of ability to go after people and a lot of money that wasn't didn't have a whole lot of accountability to it um so mike said he will he and other seals were often on these kinds of missions um the another thing they did was they they worked with what's called um we call them prus pru provincial reconnaissance units these are vietnam south vietnamese uh volunteers um to be trained to go and do some direct action seal-like work um a lot of times seals would go as um, advisors but they also would go out on and 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 combat with them and lead them um the provincial reconnaissance units were trained by uh a a, a, a green beret a team that ran a kind of a boot camp for them to teach them all counterinsurgency and that that's again what the green berets were real really good at doing is uh um training the locals on our side to uh how to fight so um yeah so that's uh 
that's a, another story of Mike and um, one of the missions he he was on. Uh, there was one other mission I thought I'd I'd mention. He he told me so many. I wish I had recorded all of them because um, I I remember bits and pieces of them, but some he told more than once and they kind of stuck. Um, this was a funny scenario because I was in college at the time. I was out of the military. This was 94, I think. And Mike just sent me a copy of a book that was coming out. And I cannot for the life of me remember who, who what book this was or who wrote it. But it was about a mission with Mike and Prince. Uh, Prince was on this one. And it was about the time when they got pinned down by Viet Cong, actually, in um in or in an area it was a really wicked ambush um across it was they got they got caught in a crossfire which is not good it means rounds are coming at you from two different angles it's hard to hard to defend but it's also hard to take cover um because you know things are going left and right so they were stuck behind a rice paddy um rice paddies were these dikes uh that would hold the the water in these flat areas and he said we we were taking fire from from a little bit higher than where we were and it was it was just not good and they were shooting and shooting and, and uh, taking cover and shooting and just trying to do whatever they could to survive this thing and um in the book that was being written they asked mike to um read it and make notes because it was the guy writing it was on the mission that mike was on so he wanted extra editorial eyes on and, and angles on the mission that maybe he had forgotten or weren't entirely accurate. So I'm reading this and it was, I remember him telling me about this mission when we worked together in the same platoon and it, it said in the text and Mike would just write in like in pencil, his comments. So, and sent, sent the manuscript back to the author who could um revise or whatever and um he said yeah we were we had this this was a, one of the most hairy uh firefights we had we'd been in in, in viet in the whole time at least on that tour and uh, we thought uh we were probably it was it we we he said but for some reason the fighting the the, the firing stopped all of a sudden the shooting stopped and he goes whatever that was about and Mike writes in the in the in the margin, yeah, because we ran out of ammo. That <laughs> they they ran out of ammo. Uh, that's why the fi firing stopped. He, but the way it sounded was like ah, for some reason, you know, the firing kind of was kind of a ceasefire. <laughs> and Mike was like, no, no, we ran out of every last bullet, um, except our secondaries, which is yeah, that's not good. Um, but they were able to. This is a long story short. They were able to get uh, some gunships in there uh, and get them out. Uh, they were able to drive, drive the Viet Cong force back uh, and and get these guys extracted out of there. But uh, another kind of humorous thing, yeah, because we ran out of ammo. It's like yeah, simplest uh, simplest uh, explanation usually does it. Um, couple more short one that i thought was it's non-combat related but it was sort of funny um the mike mike's platoon command okay so they were in, in mito at that same place i think this is the picture you're seeing here in mito um i'll just put another 
picture up. Uh, Mike is at the bottom right of this one, um, the lower level, far right. And once again, and th this is in Vietnam. Once again, look at all the ammo. These are there's five guys here, and I see four belt feds. Mike usually, I think that's Prince there. I think I see Prince's ears. It's kind of dark. I can't quite make it out. But uh, Mike would usually carry an AR because he just wanted to be lighter as a point man. He needed to kind of sneak and peek. Uh, so he didn't want to get bogged down by these heavy, heavy 60s. So two guys have 60s. One guy has a stoner and might be 360, three M60s. Anyway, a lot of firepower per per single soldier. Uh, <clears throat> so they had a hooch. A hooch, well, their hooch, they called it, is just their barracks, um, which was just a like a you know plywood hut not nothing special um but they had these showers uh that, that were theirs the american showers and then the the arvin force the army of vietnam south vietnam um were on the same base so they were they were both on the same base and the and the vietnamese soldiers had their own barracks and their own shower so for whatever reason the this one particular Vietnamese guy liked to take showers in their shower, which he wasn't supposed to do, but it was kind of one of those things. Nobody got too bent out of shape, except after a while that he said it was a common thing for the Vietnamese to clean out their rice bowls and dishes in the shower, which that seems strange for us uh, here, here, here in our culture, but they would do it. And it was just, running water so they'd clean clean the rice bowls out well the rice would clog up the drains eventually and um it would get stopped up and it would be a big pain in the ass and you'd have to you know get it snaked out or plunged or something like that so he said one day there was this big vietnamese guy that kept doing this and he goes honestly he's the biggest vietnamese guy i've ever seen he must have been six two and 200 pounds he goes most of the time they were half that uh, just because genetically they're just smaller. Um, but he said, this guy was huge and <laughs> he was intimidating looking. And um, so the platoon commander had had enough. I forget which one that was. He said, Bailey, get, get Prince and get that guy out of there. Cause the platoon commander went over and said, uh, I think the term was did mal, which in Vietnamese means get out of here or move it. Um, and he he just like laughed at him, <laughs> like I'm not moving, and um so that pissed him off, and he so he told Mike get Prince and get him out of there, <laughs> and Prince did not like, like I said in one episode, it he couldn't distinguish one Vietnamese from another. He couldn't, it, they were all the enemy to to Prince <laughs> because he knew enough. I mean, dogs are smart enough to know these are the bad guys. So you know, watch it. So Mike took him in there, with, took Prince on his, he, he was usually on a choke, a, a choker chain, and uh, he had him by the chain, and, and Prince, he said, the moment we walked in, he started growling at this guy, and he said, the guy must have been a tough, bold dude, because he just, he just looked at him like, you ain't doing nothing to me, and, and Mike said, gave him the command, watch him, which meant get ready to, to get him. <laughs> Uh, there's this preparatory command and he said prince just starts growling low growl and leaning forward and um the guy still didn't didn't seem to care and so mike 
sicked him on him. He let him go and gave him the attack command. And he said, man, Prince, he said, Prince went right back. I mean, they're so fast. German shepherds are just incredibly fast. He just, he was all over this guy. And he said, there he will clamp on the first thing he, he sees, he comes to. And this guy was standing there in the nude. And you guessed it. He just engorged on this guy's crotch, just grabbed him. And he said, the guy just went sheet white and passed, just fainted um, dead away. And he said, the, 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 his command to let go was out, right? But he said that never was Prince's strong suit. And so he really tore the tore into this guy, which sounds pretty barbaric, but uh, um, one of those stories of Prince um, and Mike that just will live on, will live on in infamy. Um, I think the last Vietnam story I want to tell, Mike got the Purple Heart. He was awarded the Purple Heart. I, I asked him about it. Like, how, of course, how did you get that? <laughs> Everybody wants to know. And he said he fell in a punji pit. Um, so a punji pit, Viet, the Viet Cong would make, it was a form of booby trap where they would dig a pit, um, sometimes rather deep, and um, put a spiked, uh, a, a, they would sharpen these bamboo uh, stakes, like two-inch ones, uh, so significant, and um, sharpen them to real sharp and and just and plant them down in the bottom of the pit and a lot of times they they sometimes they would put feces on the end of them to try to induce infection um but not always uh mike said his the pit he fell into didn't have they don't think they had any any feces on them because they it, there was a lot of water in the pit and it, even if they had it probably washed off but he fell in and it got one of his ankles and one of his arms as he tried to brace. And I think under his shoulder, he got hit three places by punchy pits and tore him up pretty good. I don't think he had to go home, but he, he was definitely out of the field for a month or so during that deployment. Um, So tough guy, tough guy. What do you say? Um, this is about the time I knew Mike. I was just either, this was a little before or a little after when he was my instructor. You see him there in the blue t-shirt and the green, either green shorts or green long pants. The SEAL instructors, that was their uniform. They they would wear uh, just a plain blue t-shirt. All it said is UDT SEAL instructor, which you could, I don't think you could make that out on his his shirt. And then green, just olive drab pants um, or shorts. They had two different options. So here's Mike in the Bud's uh, armory. Um, and he's showing, this is an admiral here, this guy in the white. Uh, he's not a SEAL. I can tell he's a, he, I, th I think he's an aviator. If I can see that, I can barely see the pin that he's got on his uniform. But I think he's a naval aviator. But he's an admiral, so he's way up. And he's wanting to suit the SEAL Bud's training facility. And uh, there you have it. And <clears throat> so you can see some of the weapons. Um, yeah, I see a shotgun, a 203 grenade launcher, a couple of ARs. I don't see a stoner there, just a 60, 260s. Now that, that's, let's see. Yeah, the, the one in the very closest is the new, the E2 M60. That's what I carried and used. Um, it was a lighter version of the 60 that that 
60 behind it that you can't really see. I can see the tray cover. Tray covers are exactly the same, but it, it it's the old Vietnam style and 60 and those things were heavy. Uh, but anyhow, I mean, even the E2 is heavy because, uh, compared to like an assault rifle, but it's um, a lot. The, the Vietnam thing was was a lot heavier. So that's Mike, you know, putting on what we call a dog and pony show. Um, I have to say and inject here. Mike is one of the funniest guys I've ever, ever been around. I, I, I don't think I'll meet anybody funnier than Mike. Um, maybe somebody as funny. I don't know. But he was awfully funny. He could just make us crack up in the middle of uh, situations where it didn't call for a lot of humor. But he could somehow use he, he was so sarcastic. I mean, that was his big thing. Um, and just such a great operator. I mean, he had so much knowledge and intelligence, uh, just a smart guy and could figure almost anything out, came up with innovations that now I think they used in training young SEALs and even in the teams um, based on his experience in Vietnam. And the other Vietnam SEALs I met, Master Chief Scarborough, Half-Ass Mac, James McCarthy, um, um, Master Chief Hayden um Roy, Roy Dean Matthews these are some of the guys I met and they were at the very kind of court at the end of their career but um were Vietnam guys they couldn't say enough good about Mike they were just like yeah you could count on him every time and that isn't always the case yeah even in special ops even in the SEAL teams um some guys are not good operators but Mike was um I'll tell you one more, one more last one and I think I'm getting a little long here but Mike I was working in training with Mike at SEAL Team 5. This is years later after Bud, after Mike was a Bud's instructor, he came to SEAL Team 5. And after our platoon, we both ended up in training department together. I was doing assaults again for the second time, and Mike was doing land warfare, fire and movement, stuff like that. Um, and I, I happened to be, we had desks right across from one another. It was the old school desks in, in kind of an open room, and everybody had their desk. And you know, a lot of joking around, a lot of good times. And um, there were pictures on the wall. I, I'm sure they don't have them there anymore because this is this is back in the day. Uh, there was a lot less political correctness in the military. I mean, you might not think that's the most politically correct place there is, but um, it, it can be. Um, and it, it it's changed a lot. Military's changed a lot. A lot of that for the better i think um who knows but it, these pictures of vietnam all around our training department wall i mean they were taken by seals over there and there was this one and this is gets a little macabre in my opinion was a, of a dead nva soldier laying face down and of all things a, a patch of like daisies like in full bloom daisies and it was a surreal looking photo because here here's all these flowers and then this guy is just laying there and um, like i say that that wouldn't fly anymore and probably shouldn't have flown then but it was there and that's what it was um and um an admiral much like this scenario here had come to tour our the seal team he wanted to see what the seals were all about he was not a seal and so the uh believe it was the well our co was giving him the tour our commanding officer who was a usually a commander back then I don't know what they are now, um, but this, the commanding officer, commander, 
was taking this this admiral around and showing him and he brought him into training apartment and we're all at a you know tension on deck all that yeah um and he puts us at ease and we kind of sit back down and he's, he's they were like carry on you know you guys got work to do and um i hear mike mike, mike well mike mike was sitting behind right across from me and uh the the admiral was looking at the pictures around the room and kind of no not all of them had dead bodies in them i mean some of them were just guys decked out in their gear and pictures like i've shown in this in the slideshow and uh he, he goes what's this here what's this one and he points to the one with the the dead nba soldier and mike said he, he just popped off right in the middle he goes oh sir we like to call that where have all the flowers gone <laughs> that's a song i i don't know i think it's a 60s or 70s song but uh we, we could not hold back our laughter and i think the the admiral laughed thankfully <laughs> he thought it was funny too but man, Mike, I mean, he could just pop them off. Uh, just, just, a, just a real character, but, uh, but a great guy. And, and uh, one of my all-time best friends. So <clears throat> second to the last slide here, I just wanted to show you a picture. There's Mike on the left. This is when I was in a platoon with him in the middle is uh, one of uh, Eric Hatter is his name. Uh, Eric Hatter. He was one of our buds as well. Not buds, buds, but our friends. And then that's me on the far right, um, sweating. You can see the sweat on my T-shirt. We were in Malaysia, and it's hotter than blazes there. Uh, we were training the Malaysian Special Forces, um, um, and it was it was hot. <laughs> we're all in shorts. Eric doesn't even have a shirt on. Um, and you can see here's this. These are some bunks. This one didn't have a mattress on it. That's why we were using it. As you can see, we're we're making. Gourmet coffee. Coffee was a big motivator for us all the time. And um, we were always trying to come up with a good way to perfect coffee. So we had we had a little camp stove there. You might be able to see we're heating up water and, and then a drip filter. And we're just dripping it in our mugs. But um, had a lot of good times, had a lot of laughs. And um, I'll never forget Mike. Um, uh, great guy. And so... In closing, just uh, dedicate it to Mike and his service for our country and um, a great instructor. He won Instructor of the Year twice uh, when he was a BUDS instructor. So um, everybody liked Mike that I ever met. And I, I, I said this at his funeral. They, I, I was asked to speak by his widow, um, so I did. Um, uh, I uh, Mike was a humble guy, even though he could be confident and sometimes a little... Brag, not braggadocious but he would be you know kind of crass but but he was he he never put anybody down he looked at everybody i don't care what they did seal or no no seal and um and one of his best buddies um alex hernandez is a green beret a special forces operator who also spoke before before i did at at mike's funeral um and he and he and uh, he, alex told me he goes mike took me right in because alex was assigned as, as a special forces um operator he was a diver in in the special forces to our dive department and he said he had his reservations going to be assigned with a bunch of seal instructors and he said mike couldn't have been nicer took him right under his wing and and uh, it was just unbelievable so um here's to mike miss you brother 
Thanks for watching, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it.